Welcome to a special episode of Music for Life, a program which explores the purpose and value of music to humanity's enrichment. I'm Ryan Malone, concert manager for Armstrong Auditorium and host of this program. This is another of our special episodes that I've titled Pre-Concert Talks. These episodes will air the week of a concert at Armstrong Auditorium here in Edmond, Oklahoma, and we are coming up on a brand new stage production being premiered here at Armstrong. This is the overture, or the instrumental first movement, to a new musical production based on the biblical book of Ruth, titled The Widow's Might, the story of Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz. This new production will be premiered at Armstrong Auditorium Thursday, Saturday, and Sunday, December 29, 31, and January 1 at Armstrong Auditorium, presented by faculty and students of Herbert W. Armstrong College, Imperial Academy, as well as step dancers from the renowned McGuire and Carey Academies of Irish Dance. So today on Music for Life, we have another of our pre-concert talks to prepare our audience for this heart-rending and hope-filled journey as we follow Naomi and Ruth, two impoverished widows who discover loyalty and love, rescue and redemption. There's a story about Benjamin Franklin that says he was trying to get a group of Bible skeptics to admit to the value of the Bible, and how he apparently did that was he told the story of the biblical book of Ruth, but changed all the character names. When they agreed to the beauty and power of the account, he revealed that it was actually from the Bible to their astonishment. I tell that story first today to emphasize the universality and accessibility of this history. The virtues and characteristics of this story transcend culture, religion, or age. This musical is the fifth original musical that we have performed here at Armstrong Auditorium. Back in December of 2012, we premiered Jeremiah, a musical and step dancing extravaganza. The following year, we did a prequel of sorts, David, The Endless Throne Begins. After that, we had a small student-only production called Morning Star, The Acts of Waldo the Apostle, about a medieval Christian figure who did a lot to get the Bible into the hands of the common man. Two years ago, we premiered The Book of Isaiah, 
which used one of the most poetic and quoted Old Testament writers to tell the story of Judah's King Hezekiah and his confrontation with Assyria's King Sennacherib. All these productions have largely been in the American musical theater tradition in terms of musical style. One unique feature, though, of these Armstrong productions is their inclusion of Irish step dancing thanks to the campus being home to an internationally acclaimed Irish dance school. See, many musicals incorporate dancing, usually of a contemporary jazz, Broadway, or perhaps ballet nature. Our musicals incorporate the traditional Irish step dancing, which certainly sets these shows apart from other American musicals. The ten dancers in this show either attend the McGuire Academy of Irish Dance, which has a branch right here on the Armstrong College campus, or the Cary Academy of Irish Dance in Birmingham, England, just outside Armstrong's UK campus in Edstone, Warwickshire. Students from both schools have been recognized at the regional, national, and world level. Cary Academy dancer Jude Flurry has placed second at the North American Nationals this past July and came in third at the World Championships of Irish Dancing in Glasgow, Scotland in April. McGuire Academy dancer Jordan Saranga has placed third at North American Nationals as well as consistently placing top three on the regional level. Now, all the step dancing in this show has been choreographed either by Paris Turgeon, the show's dance captain, or Alexa Turgeon, or Vienna Fleury. Paris and Alexa are in their senior and freshman years respectively at Armstrong College and are assistant dance instructors to Darren McGuire. Alexa will also be dancing in the show. While traveling abroad for several months, both have had the opportunity to study with John Carey at the Carey Academy. Vienna Fleury is a junior in high school at Imperial Academy and for the past two years has been dancing with the Carey Academy. While she no longer competes, she is finding her artistic voice through choreography, as you will see in some of the show's dance routines. The singing cast is comprised of about 87 people, a handful of whom swing between singers and step dancers. About 30 of those singers are students at Imperial Academy of Edmond, 22 are students at Armstrong College, 20 are on staff or faculty at one or both schools, and about 15 are Philadelphia Church of God members who attend its Edmund congregation. With all the elders, townspeople, farmhands, and gleaners that the show requires, this show is really a community effort. In terms of lead characters, there aren't that many. Now, our male lead, Boaz, will be played by Armstrong Music faculty member Mark Jenkins. He has also served as rehearsal pianist and vocal coach for the show. As assistant music director here at Armstrong College, he teaches piano and voice, conducts both the Armstrong Choral Union and the Armstrong Youth Orchestra, for which he also composes and arranges. And he has performed two full-length jazz concerts on the Armstrong International Cultural Foundation Concert Series. For the Armstrong Auditorium musicals, he has sung the roles of Hezekiah in the Book of Isaiah, Baruch in Jeremiah, and Samuel in David. Two other named male roles in this production are Ben and Tove. Ben is the name I've given to Boaz's chief steward, the one who tells Boaz all about Ruth when Boaz wonders who this persistent and diligent gleaner in his field is. Tov, according to Jewish tradition, is believed to be the name of the kinsman who had first right to marry Ruth under the laws of leveret marriage, which I'll explain a little bit later. Tov will be played by Shane Granger. Many of our listeners know him as the marketing director for Armstrong Auditorium and the Foundation. Mr. Granger has also been in three of the previous Armstrong musicals. He played Prince Pasher in Jeremiah, the prophet Nathan in David, and Sennacherib's general Rabshakeh in the book of Isaiah. Ben 
will be played by Joshua Sloan, who our listeners may know from these musicals as well. Mr. Sloan played Eliakim in the book of Isaiah, Hananiah and Jeremiah, and probably most memorably, King Saul in David, a role into which his six-foot-seven frame fit nicely. If you know the biblical story, you'll know our story's two female leads would be, of course, Naomi and Ruth. In the role of Ruth will be Armstrong College sophomore Jessica Brandon. She has been taking vocal lessons since ninth grade. She sang in the Armstrong Auditorium productions of Jeremiah, David, the Book of Isaiah, and was featured as a lead character in the world premiere of Morningstar. And in the biggest female role of the show, as we'll see as we go through the plot, is Naomi. Naomi is played by Armstrong College voice faculty member and my darling wife, Paula Malone. We discussed Paula's credentials at length on a recent episode since she just performed on the Armstrong Concert Series. In addition to her extensive operatic experience, she has an active history in community theater, notably playing Maria in The Sound of Music and Hoddle in Fiddler on the Roof. In the Armstrong musical, she played Queen Mother Hamutal in Jeremiah, The Memory of Hannah in David, and The Prophetess in the Book of Isaiah. Now let's get into the plot of our production. I want to play some musical examples from a brand new recording of the show to give you a foretaste of what you can expect. Just after the overture, the show opens on three widows mourning over the graves of their husbands in the plains of Moab, just east of the Jordan River. One of these widows is the once wealthy Bethlehemite widow, Naomi. The other two are her recently widowed daughters-in-law, Ruth and Orpah, who had married Naomi's only two sons. And I should mention here that Orpa is played by Armstrong College faculty member Amy Flurry, who is currently living in Edstone, Warwickshire, England. You may remember her as Michael in our production of David, or as Tephi in Jeremiah, or as Hephzibah in the book of Isaiah. The overture, as you heard already, begins with this two-note motive played by the horn in this case. The overture wraps up about two and a half minutes later with the same horn motive indicating to the ear that this musical section is ending as it began and setting up the first vocal number of the work titled Widow's Lament. We have recorded all these numbers partly in the studio and partly in Armstrong Auditorium in the lead-up to this premiere. So here is an early mix of this opening number. Two souls become one flesh A husband and a wife they share each breath of air they form a single life moments of each day emotions one might feel shared with the other they never seem as real so when death Forces have to leave 
You are listening to KPCG and a special episode of Music for Life. I'm Ryan Malone, music director for Armstrong College and Armstrong Auditorium, as well as host of this program. In this episode, we are exploring our new stage production, The Widow's Might, the story of Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz, in the lead-up to its Armstrong Auditorium debut Thursday, Saturday, and Sunday, December 29th, 31st, and January 1st. We just heard the gut-wrenching opening number of the production, The Widow's Lament where Naomi, Ruth, and Orpah are mourning over the graves of their husbands. Naomi is being played by Armstrong College voice faculty member Paula Malone, Ruth is being played by Armstrong sophomore Jessica Brandon, and Orpah is being played by faculty member Amy Fleury. Continuing in the story, we have a song titled Return. Naomi hears that the famine has ended in her homeland of Judah and sets out to return there. She tries to convince her daughters-in-law to remain in their region, but both insist on accompanying Naomi. When Naomi counters with more arguments as to why they should stay, Orpah consents and heads back, but Ruth declares an even more fervent loyalty toward her mother-in-law and the God of Israel. But let's first hear the Ruth-Orpah duet from this movement, followed by the Orpah solo. Hello. 
insist they cannot return, but Naomi counters with more arguments. She presents the reality that the custom of leveret marriage won't work out where they are going. This is the custom where a widow marries the dead husband's brother. Naomi says she has no more sons for them, or even a husband or young enough womb to create more sons. Orpah then sings a solo where she comes to terms with the decision she has to make. And just as she vacillates between the two options, so does the music represent this. The violins alternate quickly between two notes to help musically depict this confliction between two choices. On the bank of this river At this mark of division I now stand at this crossing On the brink of decision When life presents two choices And neither is appealing Both options being certain To end familiar feelings The comfort of the moment The present situation No longer can be guarded By further hesitation Do I return with her? Do I return back home? Do we cross together? Knowing what awaits me The burden and dishonor When weighing all these factors The pull of home is stronger Though separation grieves me These future doubts bewilder When pondering both options I choose the more familiar I cannot return with you, so I return back home. I cannot cross this river, so I return alone. So that section of the movement, Return, represents Orpah's decision to leave Naomi as Naomi has beckoned them. Orpah hugs Naomi and leaves. Ruth hugs Naomi and won't let go. That sets up the next song, the third movement of the musical called Ruth's Pledge. This is perhaps one of the most famous lines of text of this biblical narrative. 
Here's a portion of that. So that was the end of Ruth's pledge. Ruth could not be persuaded to leave Naomi as Naomi returned to Judah. Ruth was willing to follow her mother-in-law to the grave, wherever that would be. The first scene ends after that number, and then we open onto the city gates of Bethlehem in Judah. This is the time of year that depicts the beginning of the barley harvest, which begins in the Passover season and ends 50 days later at Pentecost. To open the scene, we include our internationally acclaimed Irish dancers. They dance a hard shoe number called Waving the Barley to embody the excitement and celebration surrounding the beginning of this spring harvest. All these dance numbers have a Celtic flair to them to match the style of dancing, of course, but all the melodies for these dance numbers are melodies contained in this show, which should help the ear identify the tunes more readily when they are sung by the singers. After this dance number, we get a rousing chorus number that basically introduces the audience to the entire company. We are introduced to the town's ten elders, their chief elder, played by yours truly, his granddaughter, played by Mr. Jenkins's daughter Megan, a group of young people called Boaz's servants, as well as Boaz's chief steward Ben, We also briefly hear from Tove, as well as a group of poor people known in this production as the Gleaners. They are comprised of fatherless, widows, and strangers, each of those groups having a soloist represent that group. The fatherless girl is played by my daughter Skye, the widow is played by Mr. Jenkins' wife Valerie, and the stranger is played by Sean Welsh, who our fans may remember as Abedmelech in Jeremiah and Saul's sinister henchman Doeg in David. This chorus is called Counting on the Harvest, which has a double meaning since the farmers would count on the harvest in the sense of relying on it for their livelihood, but the Israelites also count seven sevens from when the barley is waved in terms of seven days and seven weeks to know when the Pentecost festival is. With the focus on numbers and with the lyrics stressing the rhythm of life, I thought it fitting to put some elements in the music that emphasized numbers. First off, our astute listeners may recognize the presence of a lot of of seven beat per bar meter patterns. One, two, three, one, two, one, two, one, two, three, one, two, one, two, one, two, three, one, two, one, two. Seven beats per bar. Seven is a significant number in the rhythm of the harvest season. Also, the piece begins with a counting of sorts in the sense that the first single note is presented one time. The next thing you'll hear is an interval of a second played two times. Then an interval of what we call a third played three times. Then an interval of a fourth played four times. 
and then a fifth played five times. This is to set up the idea of counting. So let's hear a little of the original Armstrong cast recording of Counting on the Harvest. As the commences, we wait upon the Lord to grant us great abundance and bestow a rich reward. We each go to our gardens and hope our prayers take root. For fifty days are plenty. heard the opening chorus number of Act 1, Scene 2 from The Widow's Might, The Story of Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz, premiering at Armstrong Auditorium December 29th, 31st, and January 1st. That is a part in the plot where the people of Bethlehem celebrate the beginning of the spring harvest with a recent famine just having finished. Right after this, Naomi returns to Bethlehem with this unknown stranger, Ruth. Naomi shares the bitter trials of her journey in a song I plan to play some of later. But to move the story along, Ruth eventually offers to glean with the poor in the fields of the city's wealthiest landowners in order to support her mother-in-law and herself. Naomi obliges her, and then we move into the next scene, Boaz's Field. The scene opens with another step dance routine, this one called Morning Harvest. The dance foreshadows tunes that we'll hear when Ben sings the history of the famine, as well as tunes that Naomi and Ruth will sing about Boaz and his generosity. We also hear the Gleaner's melody in this tune as well. The next song is a chorus called The Blessing of Boaz. In this song, Boaz shows his appreciation for his servants' efforts, and they praise their master for his benevolence. Shortly after this, the mood of the song changes as we see what's happening on the property line. Tov is kicking gleaners out of his field. Though laws in Israel commanded landowners to allow the poor to pick up whatever the reapers and gatherers could not collect from their fields, Tov disregards this. I need all this grain. The drought has set me back. Do you believe you are the only ones who lack? You scum have gleaned enough. I have no more to spare. My property ends here. Find plenty over there. So they move into Boaz's field, and Ruth is among them. 
You'll hear Ben explain to the Gleaners, though, how they keep the laws there. He's backed up by a soloist who represents both the male servants, the reapers, and the female servants, the gatherers. These soloists are Armstrong College students Jesse Zollner and Kalila Brooks, respectively. Here we keep the law and reap not all the sheaves. And you all are welcome to whatever reapers leave. Each gatherer collects, but cannot gather all. So you, you are welcome to what residue may fall. We have reaped, but not the corners. We have gathered, but left what fell. God will the servants encourage the gleaners to glean in their field, and this climaxes in the two groups singing two layered melodies together at the end of this movement. So that was a portion of the Blessing of Boaz, where we just heard the servants of Boaz singing polyphonically along with the gleaners, or the poor, of Bethlehem, who gleaned in Boaz's field. Among them was Ruth, and in our story, Ruth is so diligently gleaning that she doesn't notice the rest of the gleaners have moved on to another field. When she realizes this, she gets up quickly, only to bump into a couple of Boaz's young men and drop all that she's gleaned. The two men mock her clumsiness until Boaz sees what they're doing and reprimands these men. In spite of being hassled, Ruth tries to continue working industriously. This catches Boaz's eye, causing him to ask Ben, his chief servant, about her. Ben explains Ruth's and Naomi's history in a song called A Virtuous Woman. Here's a portion of that. So Naomi left for Judah, where blessings had returned, though she came back nearly empty. New loyalty she earned Beyond the price of jewels renowned A virtuous woman she had found Strength and honor are her clothing her garment and attire Though uncertain is tomorrow She greets it with a smile On the other side of Jordan Her future was unclear But she held fast to Naomi To start a new life here Beyond the price of jewels renowned A virtuous woman we have found 
So at the beginning of the next number, called A Full Reward, Boaz charges Ruth to glean only in his field, and she is overwhelmed by his generosity. He pulls his young men aside and tells them not only to quit troubling Ruth, but to drop extra sheaves for her to glean. This climaxes in a triple-layered musical moment at the end, where the servants sing what they sang earlier about keeping these laws, and where Ruth sings what the gleaners sang before, and where Boaz sings the tune that he's been repeating these past few songs, where he says, if one provides to those in need, unto the Lord he lends, and that which he has given will God pay him again. Let's hear this triple-layered conclusion to this number, which is also the final number of Act One. To her let our abundance be dispersed. If one provides to those in need, You are listening to KPCG and a special episode of Music for Life. I'm Ryan Malone, music director for Armstrong College and Armstrong Auditorium, as well as host of this program. In this episode, we are exploring our new stage production, The Widow's Might, the story of Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz. In the lead-up to its Armstrong Auditorium debut, Thursday, Saturday, and Sunday, December 29th, 31st, and January 1st. We just heard the end of the song, A Full Reward, which ends Act 1 and is where the intermission occurs in this three-act musical. Act one totals about one hour, and acts two and three combined total about one hour. In that number we just heard, Boaz, his servants, and Ruth all sing three different melodies that have been presented there by the end of act one. They were all layered to add richness to the final moments of the act. Act two begins with a short intro featuring the cello, and this leads into the two-note motive that indicates the opening of Act two. The scene is Naomi's home. After the first day of gleaning, Ruth returns to Naomi to show her what she had gleaned and whom she had met, and Naomi tells her to keep gleaning from that field till the end of the harvest, secretly hoping Ruth's fondness for this nobleman will grow. The next seven weeks or so pass over the course of this next song, which is called The Way of a Man with a Maid, where Naomi poetically narrates what is happening using the beautiful proverb that says, There be three things which are too wonderful for me, yea, four which I know not. The way of an eagle in the air, the way of a serpent upon a rock, the way of a ship in the midst of the sea, and the way of a man with a maid. That can be found in Proverbs 30, verses 18 to 19. Here is a portion of that. He faithfully watched if his men would obey By easing her efforts to glean And what he would earn for all his concern Was a young woman's highest esteem It is one of our lives' most breathtaking scenes Ah, for great and marvelous things There's the way of the eagles on air And how serpents on stone are conveyed There's the way of a ship on the sea Where love 
never thought to grow from one small seed new hope was found its blossoms soon began to The Way of a Man with a Maid, Naomi's aria that illustrates how the love between Boaz and Ruth grew over the course of the seven-week harvest. The next song takes place toward the end of the harvest. Naomi tells Ruth to act on a peculiar custom. Ruth demonstrates total faith in her mother-in-law in a song called All That You Say I Will Do. This song is an anthem of faith, of obeying someone you trust, even if you don't fully understand how the admonition will work. After Ruth sings this song, we open on the next scene, Boaz's threshing floor. This begins with a dance number that depicts the winnowing of the barley. The music for this is a percussion-only ensemble featuring different kinds of drums, a shaker, kabasa, tambourine, and woodblock. These instruments help give off the sounds that occur when barley is winnowed. After the dance number winnowing the barley, Boaz falls asleep on his threshing floor. Ruth, as her mother-in-law has told her, goes in and uncovers his feet and lies there. When he awakens, she asks him to marry her, as a near kinsman would do for a young childless widow. He expresses his admiration and love for her, but says there is another kinsman who holds that first right of redemption but he assures Ruth that he will try to resolve the issue as soon as possible. This climaxes in Boaz's power ballad at the end of Act Two called You Excel Them All. Find rest beneath my garment, the shelter of my wings. Your increase I will nurture, providing all good things. With gems I will adorn you, upon your head a crown. Fine linen has your garment, a gold-embroidered gown. Your beauty will be your renown. 
was the rousing finale to Act 2, Boaz's aria, You Excel Them All, sung by the man who will be playing Boaz, Mark Jenkins, on music faculty here at Armstrong College. Act 3 begins with another dance number to break up the two acts. This entr'acte uses melodies just sung by Boaz in the previous number, as well as tunes from The Way of a Man with a Maid and The Blessing of Boaz. After the entr'acte, we go back to Naomi's house where she is pacing and waiting for Ruth to return, and Ruth has been gone all night. Ruth appears with more grain and tells Naomi how Boaz has to handle the claim of the closer kinsman. Naomi encourages Ruth that Boaz will not rest until he takes care of the matter that same day. The next scene opens on the gates of Bethlehem, where Boaz has asked the elders to hear his case. To set up this song, the chief elder reviews the property laws with everyone, so the elders, the witnessing people, and the audience are familiar with how inheritances were handled in these days. Then Boaz takes the floor and presents the situation to Tove, how Naomi's land is for sale, and he, Tove, is the nearest kinsman and therefore has first right to buy it. The kinsman agrees quickly to do so, but before the deal can be sealed, Boaz also explains that Ruth is part owner of the property, being that she's the widow of Naomi's childless son. Boaz explains to Tove that this means he'll marry Ruth and bring forth children in the name of Naomi's dead son. Tove is completely repulsed by this option. Let's hear the latter half of this movement titled Exchange and how it leads right into the triumphant song Witnesses, where Boaz and the town celebrate the transfer of the inheritance and therefore Boaz's betrothal to Ruth. When you buy it from Naomi, then you also buy from Ruth. No greater woman could our family claim. And after you two marry, the children she will carry will keep the land in her dead husband's name. Wait, wait, wait! As the husband of my kinsman's widow, the land would not truly be mine. And the children we bear would not count as my heirs. So this offer I now must decline. Furthermore, this poor widow would come with great price. It would cost to provide all her needs. Plus her children would drain all the profit I'd gain. That would be too many mouths to feed. 
but rather it would seem this land you could redeem as a kinsman of great wealth why not buy it for yourself your witnesses today of all I have redeemed the inheritance is transferred what Tove did not esteem the house of Elimelech and all of his estate I purchased from Naomi you are witnesses today So that was part of the song Witnesses from The Widow's Might, The Story of Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz, where the basic conflict of the plot is resolved. Boaz just shrewdly and lawfully cleared up the question of redemption with Tove, the closest kinsman. But the show doesn't end there. The music goes right on into another dance. And in this one, the dancers typify the marriage between Ruth and Boaz in a piece that uses tunes from Witnesses, Exchange, You Excel Them All, and A Virtuous Woman. After this dance called the Pantomime of the Betrothal, there are only two more songs in the show. But before I play those, I want to go back to part of a song that I skipped earlier, as the second-to-last song ties back into that one. Back when Naomi and Ruth entered the town, the people kept singing about Naomi. Naomi eventually told them, Stop calling me Naomi, since that name means pleasant. Rather, call me Mara, which means bitter. Mara is also the name of the bitter water that the ancient Israelites encountered after leaving Egypt. In this aria, Bitterness, Naomi explains how her life is as bitter as this desert water source. The first desert spring approached by our fathers was given this name. For cursed was the water the Lord gave my life. Identical flavor Now I find myself Removed from his favor And bitter My life has become So bitter Like grass I am withered And Consumed to ashes, it crumbled. I went away full. God brought me back empty. Once blessed of the Lord, He now is against me. So Bitterly, bitterly, bitterly. 
So that was Naomi's aria, Bitterness, where she talks about how God has made her life bitter, having lost both her husband and her two sons. That song is sung early on in the show, but things come full circle here at the end. See, in the final scene, Bethlehem is celebrating the birth of Boaz's and Ruth's firstborn son, Obed. The citizens see the child as a reward, though, to Naomi. In this second-to-last song called Redemption, the women praise Naomi specifically, and then Naomi sings one final verse based on the same material we heard in Bitterness. However, this time, the music is more hope-filled. It's in a major key instead of a minor key. Naomi takes the same metaphor of the waters of Mara and shows how God sweetened them with ancient Israel by casting in part of a tree. She sees the sweetness and hope in Ruth's and Boaz's son, Obed, and sings this touching lullaby to her legal grandson. At that first bitter well, approached by our fathers, the Lord used a branch to sweeten the water. Now God gives my life identical. You are listening to KPCG and a special episode of Music for Life. I'm Ryan Malone, music director for Armstrong College and Armstrong Auditorium, as well as host of this program. In this episode, we have explored our new stage production, The Widow's Might, the story of Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz, in the lead-up to its Armstrong Auditorium debut, Thursday, Saturday, and Sunday, December 29th, 31st, and January 1st. This production will be presented by a nearly 100-strong cast, comprised of faculty and students of Armstrong College, Imperial Academy, as well as step dancers from the renowned McGuire and Carey Academies of Irish Dance. For more information on this event, you can visit armstrongauditorium.org or follow at armstrongaud on Twitter, armstrongaud. We just heard the penultimate movement to this production, Redemption, which is the point in the story where all the bitterness Naomi has suffered dissolves as she holds her grandson Obed. This movement actually leads right into the finale, which starts just like Redemption ended, and just like the musical started, with that repeated two-note motive in the French horn. Let's close today's program with this finale number, but I'll skip to the hefty hard shoe dance routine in the middle since we've heard from all our singers already and haven't heard much of the dance routines. In this dance break behind all the recorded fancy footwork, you'll hear melodies from throughout the show.
You have been listening to Music for Life, a production of KPCG 101.3 on the FM dial in Edmond, Oklahoma. From the Herbert W. Armstrong College campus, I'm Ryan Malone. Thanks for joining me.